Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Just like last month was the first month in a long time that we've had a blue moon, which is two full moons in the same month, today is something that's somewhat unusual too. We don't always get to celebrate the second Sunday after Christmas because of the way that Christmas falls. But today we do, and it's an opportunity to look at something that we don't get to have the opportunity to look at, which is about Christ in the temple. Now it's very interesting because we have already gone through, looking through Luke's gospel, his conception by the Holy Spirit, his birth, his being brought to the temple, his being uh, threatened by Herod with the uh, killing of all the children, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem, and their flight to Egypt. Then we have today. So between the flight to Egypt and their return, obviously, and today, we have no recollection according to the gospel. And then after today, there is nothing left about Christ's life up until he's baptized. So we've got these two big blocks of time. And in the middle of those two big blocks of time from his baptism and his flight to Egypt is this very poignant point of him in the temple. He who is the temple of God is in the temple of God. Consider that. He who said, destroy this temple and I shall raise it again in three days is in the very temple of God, God's presence. God is in his temple. But he's in his temple as a 12-year-old boy? (laughs) Now that's fascinating indeed. He is in the temple as a 12-year-old boy, God in the flesh and is regaling the doctors of the law regarding about the Scripture about Christ and its fulfillment. Now, we don't know exactly what the conversation was between the doctors of the law and Christ, the 12-year-old boy, but there is a great deal of revelation given to these men in their discussion, and he's showing himself to be truly a doctor of the law. For he is the one who wrote the Scriptures. He is the Scriptures fulfilled. He is the Scriptures made flesh, the Word made flesh. But still, though that is what he is, people turn their back on him. And even his own mother and stepfather have a hard time grasping who he is. Now, there's some interesting things in the text. The first one, in the beginning of the, of the section, the pericope, the word Jerusalem is mentioned three times. Now, it's kind of interesting that they didn't say back to the town or back to where they were, that Luke wants to make sure they know that this is to Jerusalem. And three times, as he mentioned, that's where they were going and that's where they returned to because Jerusalem was going to be the place where this 12-year-old boy will fulfill his purpose for the world in his death outside of that city. And just as Simeon told both parents in their hearing of he would be raised up 
for the dividing of the people of Israel. In other words, there will be people who will not believe and will fall away. So there are many people there still, as, as you see here in this text, as well as today, who still look at this and all that we're a part of as if it's completely innocuous with no meaning. Another point in verse 45, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him. Coincidence? (laughs) That's not how God works. In the same way, later on in this book of Luke, as well as you can remember from all of the times you've heard Bible studies or sermons about this, everybody that was gathered around Jesus, his disciples, his own parents, all were wondering about him. They had faith in him, but the completeness of that revelation did not come till after his resurrection. Just like in the end of Luke, when the disciples are walking with him to Emmaus and he breaks bread with them, the Lord's Supper, and their eyes are opened and they recognize him for who he is, say, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? But it wasn't until they saw the completion of those scriptures in flesh in that supper were their eyes opened. When those same disciples go back and talk to the twelve, that's what they say. Our eyes were opened when he broke the bread with us. They found him in the temple after those three days. We talked about this a few days ago, a few Sundays ago. The temple was always the place, the place of the presence of God. They tabernacled with him, and then finally God allowed this temple to be built, about whom the Old Testament reading said Solomon was the builder of that temple. And now the very temple of God himself is in that temple, and that's where they find him. Now the problem is, for you and me, There's a lot of people who want to make Jesus into something or someone that does a whole host of other things than really the very purpose that he came to be. There are people who want Jesus to be that which changes their earthly life and they think in terms of only their earthly life being changed. Fix my habits, fix my marriage, fix my relationship with other people, fix my kids, Fix my parents. And it's all seen in this very narrow box that Jesus is. Does he do that? Yes, of course. But is that his main purpose? Very emphatically, no. The reason being is that if that is all that is about Jesus, to bring healing, to change things in this earthly realm, then he is really a very minuscule God and a very myopic Savior of which no value to us for the big picture of eternality. What's he going to do for us forever? Others see Jesus as merely a way to change how the world functions and operates. If only we could put prayer back in school, then it would change everything. (laughs) No. 
If only we could get everything taught correctly, then it would change everything. No! Sin is still sin. You and I still go home and face ourselves in the mirror and look at ourselves and see what we really are. It doesn't change it. Not for this life. And it was the Apostle Paul who expounded in the 15th chapter of the first letter to the Corinthians said that if only for this life, if only for this life we have faith in this God, then we are to be pitied more than all men. When Jesus amazes these doctors of the law at his understanding and his answers about the Scriptures, He's pointing them away from the here and the now to the big picture of life and death, heaven and hell, God and Satan. Now remember, the people who are gathered there want to see things change in their life. They want to see the Romans thrown off. They want to see the glory of Israel raised up. They want to see another king like David running the whole region and the world. Then, then things can change around here if we can just get that to happen. There are Christians gathering around the world today who have been gathering around the world in that that region, whatever that region may be, for a long time especially those who have been gathering in their regions for a long time, that have been oppressed and live in a very antagonistic region, and it will never change because of the powers that be. And even if it did, is that going to make God more approachable, likable, swallowable, When Mary says, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. The mother of God sees her son as God in the flesh and yet still grasps him as only her flesh and blood son. And he responds, which is the first recorded statement of our Lord in the entire scriptures here at 12 years old. Why were you looking for me? Very profound statement. There was a professor who said he was on the street corner one time and the street preacher said, have you found Jesus? And he responded in a very quickly way. I didn't know he was lost. Making the point that do we really find Jesus or does Jesus find us? So in Mary and Joseph searching and in their ability to find him, they still really do not find him. Not until after his death and resurrection. You and me, as a body of Christ here, we are finding Jesus, but only where he deems himself to be found and only as he has presented himself to be found. In other words, Jesus presents himself to you and me each and every Sunday here in this place, hearing and singing about him and in receiving him and that supper. 
And yet, what he presents himself as is not one that only changes the things that are causing you chafe in this world. He comes to take care of and heal broken, sin-filled lives with forgiveness. Death may come as it did to pastor's father-in-law. Did Jesus change that fact? By no means. But he changed that fact in that death wasn't merely a death. It was a release. It was a portal through which he passed into eternal life. Baptizing a child doesn't change that child's sin. It's not as if you're going to get a packaged child that's going to behave perfectly and wonderfully. The hardest part of watching your adult children grow up is that you see how either little effect you had on their life or great effect that you had on their life, and it's not always great in the right way. But Jesus does change them. And giving them death and resurrection in Jesus is what changes them for eternity. There's a difference. If we're only short-sighted to think that this proclamation is going to change things in the next five minutes, five years, 50 years, 500 years, we are short-sighted indeed. We are doing things here and proclaiming things here which is God changing lives eternally. That's who he is. But that reality was not brought home until God died on that cross and God rose from the dead. The temple was rebuilt in three days. Did that reality come home to these disciples and Mary, the mother of our Lord? Think about the futility of sowing seed looking for any kind of harvest in this life. If that's all we're doing to sow seed, to see a harvest in this life with our own eyes to validate God, there's no faith involved, is there? And yet Christians are tempted by Satan and their own flesh to expect such results in this life. That is a very difficult thing to walk and live by faith in the one who came as an infant, as a 12-year-old, and as one who lived and died for no one but you and rose again for the same. I must be in my Father's house were his words. There is no other way. I must fulfill the purpose for which I was incarnated. And that wasn't to purely bring little moments of light in your life that validates him as God. It is to bring the moment of light that validates him. Your baptism, your regular hearing of that word, and your eating of his flesh and blood with the bread and wine seems extremely unemotional and almost cardboardish, not real. <laughs> it's realer than death. And death's a pretty real thing, isn't it? 
and it's realer than birth. And birth's a pretty real thing. He left there and was submissive to his parents. Being submissive to the very people whom he created and redeemed is humility. There was no need for him to submit himself to Mary as mother and Joseph as stepfather. He's God. And yet he fulfilled that for you and me. Because heaven knows when you consider yourself and myself as about submissive to our parents. Yeah. And then throw in there when our parents aren't always worthy of being submitted unto. Doesn't matter. So he was submissive to them for you. But not to change your relationship with your parents or to change your relationship with your own children, but to heal your eternal damned soul to eternally heaven-bound soul. But only through that death and resurrection. This is the God who reveals himself as a 12-year-old in a temple, as the temple. In Jesus' name, the one who has come for us. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds on Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.